When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. With 2021 just about in the books, it's time to take a look back at the year that was in American women's soccer. Today's episode of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show, will be our last show of the year, so it's only fitting that we look back on 2021 and take stock of the ups and downs of a tumultuous year for the sport and look ahead to what 2022 might look like. Welcome into the show. My name is Seth Vertelny, and joining me, as always, is Goals Women's Soccer Correspondent Amy Roskai. Amy, how's it going? I am good. Ready to see the end of this year, I think. What about you? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's been a, it's been an interesting year for all of us, um, the show, and also all of us. Um, American women's soccer and society at large, I think, uh, have had some 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 moments to to, to reckon with. Um, you know, I think we'll get into everything that's been going on um, in the NWSL, but also I want to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team as well, uh, a year that they probably didn't expect to. Um, you know, certainly the the performance that we saw at the Olympics was uh, was far from what we, we thought was going to happen going into it, but there were also some ups in 2021 as well. So, um, yeah, kind of excited to, to dive into all of it. Yeah, I think um, 2022 is definitely set up to be um, a very interesting year. From a from a soccer perspective, uh, not just with the U.S. but kind of all around, I think. Is it hard for you to say soccer? Do you have to like yeah shock yourself, or is it just kind of natural now that we're on this show? No, nope, I hit myself every time I say it, but I'm doing it to be um <laughs> to be kind. To be honest, I I I kind of had this thing like when I say it, I just I kind of hit myself in in like my conscience. But you know, I'm I'm learning. I'm learning to live with it. Yeah, well, we we really appreciate your commitment to the show here. So let's start by looking back at the year that was in the NWSL. Um, Just kind of a brief uh, high-level summary of what we saw in 2021. Um, We returned after a abbreviated 2020 season that saw a challenge cup and then a fall series, but basically we didn't have a season in 2020. So I think everybody was looking forward to 2021 kind of getting back to stadiums with fans playing a full schedule teams traveling as much as they did in previous years. 
Uh, we also had a couple new teams, um, Racing Louisville, an expansion team, and then Kansas City, which um, was the Utah Royals um, that they moved prior to the season. Uh, but really, the the story of the season was, of course, the abuse scandals that sort of dominated the headlines in the in the latter half of the the campaign. You know, it just kind of seemed like one after another, and it was it was really hard to kind of wrap your head around everything that happened, everything that had been happening. And, you know, that's going to be the big storyline moving forward in this league as well, because I think we can all agree that uh, if this doesn't get fixed to a, a satisfying conclusion for, for most people involved, that it could be an existential threat to the league. Um, you know, on the field, we had the, the thorns and the rain in the regular season were the two best teams, kind of that balance of power and, shifted out to the Pacific Northwest, kind of like it has in, in recent years. But uh, in the end, uh, the Spirit, who had kind of weathered one of those abuse scandals that I just mentioned, uh, got a new coach, and they went on an amazing regular season run and postseason run and ended up winning the title. Um, anything else that kind of stands out for you, Amy? No, I think I think you, you summed it up well. I think kind of... As I said, like twenty twenty two is going to be an interesting year. I think that we kind of look at, you know, obviously the the abuse scandals. Like you know, everybody's got eyes on what we're going to do to to kind of you know iron that out and, and make things a lot better for people in this league. Um, but yeah, I think there is a lot of interesting teams as well in the NWSL to look at going forward. Um, I think we'll delve into a little bit of that, but there's definitely quite a few um, as the trades kind of go around. And you look and you think, I wonder how different you're going to look from this year to next year. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so I have broken this down into a few different categories for the 2021 year in NWSL. And let's just start with the biggest surprise. Um, and I think that the answer is obvious from a team standpoint, and that's the, the Washington spirit. You know, we've, kind of delved into everything that they've gone through or in previous episodes of this show, but basically midway through the season, Richie Burke, their coach was fired after uh, a league investigation into some verbal and, and emotional abuse uh, that he perpetrated on the several spirit players. Um, Just a really tumultuous period for the team. And then on top of all of that, they had to forfeit two games for violating league COVID protocols. Uh, there also was a, a very public battle uh, between the a couple of the team's owners for control uh, over the team. Um, you had one owner accusing the, another owner of, of facilitating kind of an old boys culture. Uh, and, and that battle continues. Um, you know, there have been even recent reports that that uh, Steve Baldwin, the owner that, that the players and the other owner, um, Michelle Kangrich, is trying to oust, re- rejected a $35 million bid from Michelle Kang, um, which was far more than any other NWSL team has ever been sold for. So that's kind of an ongoing issue. But um, the way that the spirit responded on the field, I think, constitutes naming them the biggest surprise of the year because they could have easily folded. Um, they were close to missing the playoffs and instead 
they did not lose a game under their their new coach Chris Ward and it all culminated with an NWSL title that I don't think anybody could have seen coming a few months before. Yeah, I don't think I can pick a different biggest surprise for me. Um, But it would be a pretty short podcast if I just sat here and said, yeah, I agree, let's move on. So I am going to give an honourable mention to the Red Stars, um, who I think kind of, you know, when they, I mean, they lost Alyssa Nair, they lost Julie Ertz, they lost Casey Kruger, you know, Sharples, Pew was missing for a spell, you know, they lost, uh, what in the semi-finals like and then you know even to lose in the final pew and you know to to still hang in there with a chance to to actually win the championship I think it was pretty impressive I think you could easily look at those injuries and kind of rule them out but the way they kind of battled through them um, I think that they can get a little honorable mention in, in biggest surprise let's move on to biggest disappointment um, and before we dive into this any further just a note we're talking about on-field disappointments here obviously the systemic abuse of players and cover up by those who should have known better and should have done much better job protecting the players is the biggest disappointment of the year and it pales anything that happens on the field pales in comparison to it so with that being said uh, my biggest disappointment uh was the houston dash um they kind of looked like they were close to being in that upper tier of the league after 2020. They won the Challenge Cup. Uh, they had a really good fall series. They had a really good Challenge Cup in 2021 as well. They kind of seemed like they were on the up and up, and they they never really seemed to, to get going this year, finished outside of the playoffs. And I'll also note that unlike almost every team in the NWSL, the dash did not have any coaching upheaval this year. James Clarkson was the coach from start to finish. And that continuity still didn't result in a, in a playoff berth. No, I'm, I'm with you again on this. Um, I think it's weird. Cause I think as time goes on, we'll kind of see where the dash really are. Like, cause we all kind of built up, like, I guess going into this season thinking, well, they they won the Challenge Cup last year. They've been doing pretty well for the last two months. But, do you know, is that an actual indication of them, of where they can be? Or, do you know, is, is it just not a fluke, but I guess how much does that mean? Kind of what happened in a, a pretty crazy season before that. Um, I think it's a bit interesting to see how they look for next season because they do have some really good players. Do you know, Rachel Daly's a great leader. Uh, they've got some real quality in that team. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what their off-season is like because it feels like there's the potential in there for a really good team that can kind of reach the playoffs, but we just we just didn't see it this year. Yeah, it seems like one of their, their big issues was just finding a second scorer to go along with, with Rachel Daly. Yeah, and again, I think they have kind of pieces in there to do that. Um, I They were hit quite heavy by the Olympics, obviously, um, losing quite a few players. Um and you know maybe that might maybe they'll think about that when they they're doing trades and stuff in the off season. It'd be interesting to see who they kind of bring in to to bolster that attack. I guess best newcomer. Um, this one is is kind of a no brainer, and I want to get into this player a little bit more in our next category. But it's Trinity Rodman. I don't think there can be much question. Um, you said Trinity Rodman as well, but you also wanted to uh, give an honorable mention to another player. 
Yeah, I think Emily Fox deserves a mention. I think, obviously, we knew about her before the draft. She's been involved with the US Women's National Team a few times while she was in college. I think it was good to see her kind of week in, week out with the pros and see the way she's developing. And she's not gone into a very easy environment, an expansion team that only won what, five games, I think, this season. Um, but she looked good. She's applied herself. And I thought she was really good towards the end of the year against Australia as well for the US. So... Yeah, you can see her developing into a really, really good player. Um, and yeah, I think she deserves a mention for this year. So that brings us to our next category, which is best player. And I have to say, I, I went into this with, with kind of an open mind. I know that Jess Fishlock won the MVP, uh, but there wasn't like one real like obvious standout player in the league this year. And so I decided to hit the stats and try to determine through those like who the real standout player in the league was. And the name that kept popping up at the top of every statistical category or near the top was Trinity Rodman. And if you go through, it's it's hard to avoid the conclusion that she really was the best player in the league this year. It, let's just say the best attacking player. I know it's kind of difficult to, to compare someone like Trinity Rodman to a, a holy midfielder or a defender. But when you go through the stats, she, she led the league in combined non-penalty goals and assists. She had seven non-penalty goals, seven assists. She led the league in assists. She was second in chances created from open play. She was fifth in touches in the opposition box. She was second in shots on target. She was up there in minutes played, so she was consistently a part of the the spirit lineup, game in, game out. You know, she's up there like top 20 minutes played. Uh, she led the league in dribbles completed. I mean, this is this is a player who just kind of came in there and in every offensive category, as a teenager, she's she's up there among the best in the league. I think it's weird because, like, I kind of think if she wasn't so young and she wasn't a rookie, like, she'd have probably got MVP when you think about it. But I think because she's young, you kind of use that caveat, don't you, where you're like, mm, but you don't... Because it is because, like, you don't want to put too much pressure on her too young on, like, all this kind of thing. But I do think, like, maybe she was, like, four or five years older. She'd probably been MVP. She wasn't even a finalist. Exactly. She should have been a finalist for sure. Um, I have gone different for my best player. Um, for the, Well, got to do different at some point. But uh, for me, it was Morgan Gautreau. Like, I think, obviously, I've just went through all the, the injuries the Red Stars had. And I think she was just the glue that kept them together. Like, without her, they're not, they don't get to where they get to. Um, she was just so important. And I think it's been really nice for her to get a lot of plaudits for that as well. Because she plays kind of what might be an underappreciated role, I feel. Um, and she's not been in the limelight as much because she's not been in the US Women's National Team picture as much. So um, I was happy for her to kind of remind everybody how good she is. And I thought she was, yeah, I thought she was incredible this year. Let's close it out with bold 2022 prediction. And Amy, once again, I think we, we agree on this one. And maybe it isn't an actual prediction because we both kind of have like, Expansion teams do well, so that's not a uh, a specific prediction. I don't know if I'm ready to say that both expansion teams are going to make the playoffs. Um, I guess that would fit the definition of a bold prediction. Um, 
So let's just go with that. Both expansion teams make the playoffs. Uh, I, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, just the, the, the teams that both of these expansion franchises are building are really starting to, to look strong. And, and, you know, there's still a number of players that need to be added, but so far, um, it, it's looking like they're not going to be typical expansion teams for sure. Yeah, it feels a bit weird to be like, oh, these teams with Alex Morgan and, and Christian Press on are, are going to do well as a bold prediction. But we do know that history tells us that expansion teams do not do too well in their first season in the NWSL. So I am using that history to justify this. But yeah, I think they will both have the potential to reach playoffs. I think obviously it's a bit weird at the moment because there's the teams are not fully complete. But I think I think once both those rosters are kind of like filled out, I think that you're looking at two playoff teams. Do either of the teams have an edge over the other to you at this very early stage? Um, I think possibly Angel City. I think that they've just kind of I don't know. Like when I look at when I look at the two rosters like side by side, because obviously there's only so much that you can go on before they actually put all the pieces in. But when I look at them side by side, I'm kind of drawn more to Age or C because I think they have like kind of really nice pieces around the stars. What about you? Yeah, I, I, I think so too. Although San Diego, we might know a little bit more after the college draft. You know, right now they have that number one pick and I think it's probably going to be Jalen Howell. And if Jalen Howell's in place, when you when you look you know up the spine of that team, with uh, Kayleen Sheridan in goal, uh, Abby Dahlkemper and Tegan McGrady in the back. You you add a piece like Howell, and then you have Morgan up top, like right up the gut. That's a that's a, a top tier NWSL spine. But I think that Angel City's roster is just a little bit deeper right now. They they have have added a few more pieces. They made a couple international signings, um, but most importantly. San Diego has the best crest in the league. Yeah. It's it's not even a, it's not a question. I like the colors. I really like the colors. I'm excited to see what the kits look like because the colors are, are great. It's like yeah, it's like some kind of a like 90s Baywatch vibe and I love the pink. I love the teal. It, it, it gives, it's like a whole entire mood. Like it's very rare that a, a soccer team's crest like puts me in a certain frame of mind it puts me in a certain place but san diego wave has done it it looks like a if you were to make like a san diego wave cocktail like you know like a tequila sunrise kind of style thing that would look very cool the colors would look great somebody should do that all of us the u.s women's soccer show from goal get the latest news and views on the u.s women's national team and the nwsl on goal The U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. Let's move on to the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, just a quick rundown of, of their 2021. Um, early in the year, they looked really, really strong. Um, they, they beat Canada. Uh, they did have some some difficult away games. I know this was a, a criticism of the team leading up to the Olympics, so they played a bunch of soft teams. Uh, but, you know, they played Sweden away, and they tied them. They they played France away. They won. 
they won all of their pre-Olympic games convincingly. Uh, granted, it, it wasn't against the strongest opposition. Uh, but, you know, the Olympics were a different story. You know, they, they, they started out with that 3-0 loss, and they, they never really seemed to recover from that game, and they never really looked like themselves. Uh, after that game, even their wins were kind of labored. Uh, and that, that, that culminated with a, a semifinal defeat to Canada. Canada beat the U.S. for the first time in 20 years. Of course, went on to win the gold as well. Um, the U.S. did sort of salvage the, the tournament by winning a bronze medal um, in the, the third-place game against Australia. Uh, Carly Lloyd scores a couple goals in that game. Uh, and then sort of the, 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 back, the back end of the year was all about Carly Lloyd after she announced her retirement. She had her farewell games in September and October. And then the, the year ended with a couple of friendlies at Australia that sort of gave us a little bit more of a glimpse into the future. Um, the U.S. played well. Some new players stepped up. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how those younger players get blended blended in with the, the older players as we move ahead to uh, 2022. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting thing about 2022 um, to see. Because that, that camp in Australia was quite an experimental camp, I guess, if that's the right word. Um, so I wonder who Vlatko kind of looks at and thinks, oh, you did really well. You deserve to be in my normal camps. And um, so, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what his first first squad of of the year looks like. Let's get into the categories. Um, biggest surprise um, for me, I'm going to go with Lynn Williams. Uh, I think that you know that, that there's been a couple moments over the last few years where it seemed like it just wasn't going to happen for her with the national team. You know, she's obviously been a really really good NWSL player for a number of years. Um, but she never just really seemed to make that breakthrough with the national team. You know, she was in and out of the picture. Uh, it got to a certain point where, where Jill Ellis just didn't really seem to rate her anymore. Um, with Flacco coming in, she kind of got a, a new lease on life. But still, you know, she didn't make that initial 18-player Olympic squad. She was an alternate. Of course, they, they changed the rules where alternates would be eligible for, for match day rosters. She came in and she really kind of stamped her authority on on the team during the Olympics and and became one of their most important players. Uh, scored a big goal against the Netherlands and and now moving forward, you know she's 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 at a good age where you know some of the the other attacking players might uh, age out a little bit before uh, she's really ended her prime and so she she seems to be well positioned to to take a real leading role in this team's attack moving forward yeah i'm going for a completely different area of the pitch for my biggest surprise mine is going to be tina davidson because i think we all knew she was going to be a top player in the future but going into the olympics i do not think that many of us imagined emerging from the olympics and thinking oh you know, she was maybe the US's best player. Like, Dalkemp wasn't in great form. Do you know, for her to then be dropped and for Davidson to come in, despite kind of having that real, like, big, high-pressure, major tournament, big game experience. I thought she was excellent. And I think that that experience of kind of being thrown in the deep end a little bit and seeing that she could swim rather than sink, 
that's going to be like, I feel like it could be a really big catalyst for her development, like, and really kind of help her to kick on even more than she already was doing. Let's go to biggest disappointment. Um, the real answer to this, of course, is the entire Olympics, but I'm just going to pick one aspect of the Olympics, and, and that was the team's inability to bounce back from the Sweden loss. Um, the Sweden loss was sort of a shock to the system, but one thing that this, that this team has always prided itself on is its mentality. And it, it really seemed like there was something just a little bit off after that game, and they never really could recover from it. You know, it, it wasn't just that Sweden beat them. It was that they beat them so comprehensively all over the field that it sort of led to them questioning if they were the team that they were built up to be. And, and we never really saw that team again for long stretches during the Olympics. And so, um, you know, that, that was something I think really unexpected and, and, and really disappointed, disappointing because, even though that game was a, a, a real shock to the system, I, I still think that we all expected them to, to win the tournament after that game. We, we thought that they would just bounce back the way that they always do, and it just never really seemed to happen. Yeah, I mean, my disappointment is the related to the Olympics again, and it's kind of like I was disappointed with how Vlatko kind of used his bench at times, considering the extra players that you could bring. So, like, the expanded squad meant that Katarina Macario was going as well as Lynn Williams, like, two massive game changers. And Williams went into the tournament kind of on fire. It was kind of like one of them where she took it personally that she wasn't in the 18. I remember she scored two, I think, in the NWSL, like, a couple of days later. And it was just like, she was in this great form. But it took quite a while for her to get a look in. And there were games where it was like, kind of crying out for her to come in, right? And, you know, for the energy she brings, her ability to create. And then she'd come into the game, like, much later than you expected. But then the other thing was, like, and I actually looked it up today to think, how long did, how many minutes did Katarina Macario actually play at the Olympics? She played six minutes of football. Like, that is so insane. Like, imagine being given the gift of, you're allowed to take Katarina Macario now. Like, as well as the players that you already wanted, you'd be like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. But, like, I just didn't feel like we kind of, he kind of used, Flacco used the, the players as much as, you know, maybe he could have done, like, those kind of massive game changing players. It's kind of like, you know, why not take advantage of getting these extra players in? Um, I was very surprised. Six minutes, played Karina Carrier for six uh, minutes. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a, a weird, a weird related thing was just the, the plan substitutions. Mm. Um, they just they, that that was one thing that stuck out to me from the whole Olympic experience. Were all those games where it got to be like the 60th or 65th minute, and they just did kind of a line change, and the players that they brought out weren't necessarily doing poorly, and the players that they brought in maybe didn't even all necessarily need to be brought in, and it was just it, it felt so pre-planned and not related to anything that was going on on the field. Yeah, it was just very the way the way he kind of used the the squad was just it was a little bit strange for me. And it is his first major tournament, like I'm not sitting here and saying Black Kalandanovsky is an absolutely terrible coach. But I think, you know, maybe because it was his first major tournament, maybe he wanted to be a little bit more prepared or but no, when the the next international tournament comes around, I wonder if he'll do anything any any differently. Maybe play Katarina Macario a little bit more. That would probably be advisable. Uh that brings us nicely to best newcomer. Um I I went with with players who 
got their first caps this year. I think you expanded the category a little bit, which is fine. Uh, but I, I, I had to go with Casey Murphy, which was um, a little bit of an interesting pick because she only made two appearances this year and they were in the final two games of the season. Um, but the, the only other player that I think deserved uh, consideration in this category was Katarina Macario. And she just hasn't quite made that breakthrough with the team yet that maybe we, we all expected her to, like, as you just mentioned, she barely played in the Olympics. Uh, the, the games that she has played with the U S there's there, there've been flashes, um, but just not the kind of consistent performance that we've seen from her this season with, with Leon. So I have to go with Casey Murphy because she kind of came out of nowhere and, and, and put in two really incredible performances against Australia and those friendlies. And all of a sudden, if we don't have like a full fledged goalkeeper controversy, there's, there's, there's some pressure behind Alyssa Nair for the first time in a while uh, because Casey Murphy looks like at the very least the, the goalkeeper of the future for the U S and you know, Nair's hurt and she deserves every chance to, to show that she's still the the right keeper heading towards the world cup. But all of a sudden Murphy's appearing in her rear view. And, and if she keeps putting performances in like she did against Australia, you know, she's going to be right in the conversation for the starter pretty soon. Yeah. I've cheated a little bit, but to be fair, so I I'm going for Ashley Hatch. I didn't actually outline the, the, uh, <laughs> the criteria. So let's, let's, we, you, we don't even need to say you cheated. I just want a different direction. I mean, yeah. right. She is 26, but, and like, she played one game for the US in 2016, one in 2018. And then she got two caps this year at the end of the year. She's, she is a newcomer in a way. Like, but I think, I don't think there are many players that have taken their chance that, you know, like a rare chance with the US as well as she has this year. Like, She's right up there with making an impact, like showing that she knows how to get in the right positions, can finish her chances when she gets them. Like, I don't think there's anything more that she really could have done with the opportunity she got. I think she was great in the two games against Australia. And um, yeah, she's. I don't think that there was really anybody who made as good an impact as she did with the chance that they got this year. Like, she's right up there with, you know all the kind of newcomers in inverted um, in air quotes as she is 26. And and as, as I mean, she, she got two caps this year. She got two caps before this year. So I think she, she classes as a newcomer, but she's shown that she can kind of get in the right positions, finish her chances when she gets them. Two goals in two games against Australia. Like, I think that she made a really good impact and I think that she definitely pushed herself into Black Ghost thinking. Like, there's not much more she could have done with that. And... Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what she's done for putting herself in in his thinking going into twenty twenty two. Best player. Um, I kind of took a page out of my book from the NWSL best player, and I picked someone who was not a finalist for the U.S. Soccer Female Player of the Year. Much like I picked someone who wasn't a, a finalist for NWSL MVP, and I went with Kristen Press. Um, there, there wasn't really a standout best player for the team this year much like there wasn't a standout best player in the nwsl and so i think you could make a case for five or six players uh for this award uh especially because when you look at the most important games of the year at the olympics uh 
nobody really performed that well, at least not until the the game against Australia for the for the bronze. Um, so when you look at like the the team and who played well, you've got Lindsay Horan. She led the team in minutes. Okay, like she played pretty well for most of the season or most of 2021. Um, Carly Lloyd led the team in goals, but five of those came in a friendly against Paraguay. So a little bit of a caveat there. Um, I just thought that, that Kristen Press, at least for the first half of the season, was by far the team's most effective attacking player. Um, she kind of made everybody else around her better. She was the most dangerous attacking player that the team had. And, and then heading into the Olympics, like everybody else, she her level dipped a little bit, and they just never really seemed to, to find a, a real attacking rhythm. But I thought that consistently when you look at the, the year as a whole, Kristen Press was, was the best uh, national team player. No, I agree. I think um, it's weird to, to kind of think about this because you think about the year in kind of stages, right? So, like, pre-Olympics, like, Press was the best player. Like, and you could, I mean, for me, she was kind of clear. And then you had the Olympics where, like, nobody really kind of played that well. Like, apart from, like, you know, I thought Tina Davidson, like I said, was really good. But then, you know, she wasn't the best player all year. And then you kind of have after the Olympics, which is this kind of weird, kind of weird games. Like, you know, there was the Paraguay games. And then there was those, that weird double header with South Korea that was like nil nil six nil. And then the Australia um, games was just like a totally different squad. But I think you consider the big chunk pre-Olympics and press was you know in unbelievable form especially considering she was ill over christmas so she like she was out for quite a decent spell over here in england um so to kind of come back from that and be in great form was quite impressive but i do think that sam mewis is worth a shout out too for that same kind of spell the first six months of the year almost like i think i remember in like january they were calling her like the u.s women's national team's best player like she was in that good form with man city and then carrying it into the u.s um so she, yeah, she was definitely somebody that I thought had a good year and a good kind of season as well. Yeah, I remember seeing Mewis at the Olympics and kind of thinking like, what, what is, what is going on with her? There's, there's something off. Uh, she just looked really nothing like the player that we had gotten used to seeing over the past year or two, and it turns out she was injured when like when she got back straight away like there was an injury and she missed a bunch of time in in the nwsl so that kind of explained a little bit of that yeah she had a good quarter final didn't she was it the game where um lynn williams scored and then assisted mewis and mewis assisted lynn williams and scored so Mm -hmm. she that was i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna have one good game at least she had a really decent game that helped them get through to the the semi-finals where they could finally have a shot at a medal but yeah it was like i say it was kind of this weird thing where like she was really good for the first six months and then kind of after that i mean obviously she's been injured so she wouldn't be my pick for like the best player but i do think that kind of worth a mention because she was great let's end with a bold prediction for 2022 i'm gonna say that there are gonna be a few more losses than we are used to seeing with the U.S. women's national team. Uh, this is the last year that Vlaco has to fully evaluate the player pool that he has leading up into the 2023 World Cup. Um, like we mentioned, 
there are a number of young players who are knocking on the door, but this is still a really veteran heavy squad. And so I think it's going to be a real challenge for him to see which of those young players merits consideration as part of the, the a squad moving forward. I also think that there might be some experimenting with formations, uh, different looks on the field. And I think the experimentation with, with personnel and with, with lineups and with, with formations is, is going to lead to maybe some results that, that we didn't expect to see, you know, a, a corollary that I, that I'm looking at is the 2017 year for, for the U S because in 2016, they had a, a real disappointing showing at the Olympics. They came out of that and, and brought in some new players, tried some different formations. And there were some, some ugly results. There was a, a back-to-back uh, pair of losses to England and France earlier in the year, including a 3-0 loss to France. Um, they lost to Australia halfway through the year, and I think we could potentially see something like that again this year, or in 2022. Of course, the issue there is 2017 was two years before the World Cup, and because of the 2020 Olympics being pushed back a year, now we're only going to be a year before the World Cup. Yeah, I'm going to kind of build on that a little bit more. So, like, so bold prediction. And the last, you know, the NWSL prediction wasn't too bold. So I thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to go bold on this one. And I'm going to talk myself into it. But I think that Canada will win the CONCACAF Championship. Kind of based on the experimentation stuff that you've just said. I think, like, the if you think about building up to the championship next summer, the prep that the US are going to have, it's not going to be kind of like best 11 playing every week every week it's basically every week with the US but like every window um to build up to obviously try and win this championship because the championship just isn't their focus but I think as well Canada have this thing now like we spoke to Janine Becky just after the Olympics here in England while she was with Man City and she I asked her like do you kind of feel like you've lost that fear factor now I guess of the US and she was like yeah like they're not this giant beast that we have to slay anymore so I think that that's gone from Canada. They obviously know that they can beat them. Um, and I also think they've got better prep kind of leading into the championship because they're going to be over here in England playing um, in the February Invitational where it's England, Germany and Spain, which is, I mean, a pretty decent prep. Whereas I know that the US have talked a little bit about struggling to find really top tier opponents for the She Believes Cup. So... I think that there's like a few things that are just kind of leading, leaning me towards Canada and being like, they could win this this Concacaf Championship, and you think about what that could do for their confidence as well. But yeah, I think with the experimentation of the US too, that's that's my bold prediction that that Canada win the Concacaf. Yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see what happens in the NWSL and with the US Women's National Team in 2022, and that is going to be a wrap for 2021. Um, As always, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Please subscribe, follow, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. As a reminder, you can go back and listen to some of our guests from previous shows in 2021 if you haven't already. Uh, We had some some great guests like Carly Lloyd and Katerina Macario and Ebony Salmon and Bethany Balser. So go back and give those a listen if you haven't. But for now, we will leave it there and we will speak to you all in 2022. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. 
Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal.